0: Storms create disruptions, and disruptions make people... frustrated.
1: It's a given fact that coastal regions are going to get hit by big storms. We all know this. We're going to get hurricanes, we're going to get Nor'easters, we're going to get tropical storms. And many of us are prepared for a storm.
0: Lauren McKellar is a nurse and mom who lives in Greenlawn. As the name suggests, a lush community with plenty of trees that are disastrous for power lines when high winds lash Long Island.
1: We have flashlights, we have batteries, we have candles, we have board games for our kids, maybe a generator. We know what to do and who to call if there's damage to the house. We know how we're gonna get in touch with family members. We know who the elderly and vulnerable neighbors are that we need to check on. We have plans in place.
0: The regional energy regulator, the Long Island Power Authority, made a commitment to reinforce infrastructure after Superstorm Sandy in 2012. LIPAS said it and the power company, PSCG Long Island, were prepared for future storms.
1: We saw signs of preparedness and we thought, oh good, this entity, this company, is going to be better prepared for future storms than past entities had been. And we were wrong. We were wrong. What proved them
0: wrong in 2020 was Tropical Storm Isaias. It left many Long Islanders in the dark for more than a week. In the months that followed, Lauren and other electricity customers unloaded on the electric company PSEG Long Island in meeting after meeting. I want to say it's almost laughable
2: how bad PSEG's performance has been. That's a shame. Long Island deserves better. How many times do we have to go back to the same well before we realize
0: it doesn't work? It is time for such a major change. This is Higher Ground from WSHU Public Radio. I'm J.D. Allen. On Long Island, climate change is already here. Communities must prepare and people find ways to adapt. These solutions might give us the best chance at survival and help save the places millions of people call home. Or we discover that retreating from the sea is the only way forward. My team and I are going to take you on a field trip each episode to explore how strong Long Island is and could be in its search for ways to adapt to climate change. Our bags are packed with support from... Music is an essential part of the video game experience. In fact, it often stays with you long after the game is over. Hear how composers create these memorable soundtracks using everything from massive orchestras and choruses to espresso machines in my podcast, Music Respawn with Kate Remington. I talk with the industry's most influential composers and rising stars with plenty of music so you can enjoy it even without a controller. Check out Music Respawn at WSHU.org or wherever you get your podcasts. People become outraged after storms because they expect the electricity to stay on. But so-called 100-year storms now topple Long Island's power system every few years. Jace Bernhardt, a meteorologist at Hofstra University in New York, looks at these storms as benchmarks and uses current weather models and coastal charts to figure out how to prepare for the next storm surge.
1: And sort of the key statistic to cite in all this is we look at you know, Montauk out on the east end of Long Island, we've sort of seen an average sea level rise of over a foot, 1.1 or so feet per 100 years. So that means in just the past 100 years, um, we've already had over a foot of sea level rise and it's continuing and seeming to accelerate.
0: Superstorm Sandy was a benchmark, before that was the 1991 perfect storm. Oh, come on, you know, it's the premise of that George Clooney, Mark Wahlberg movie, the one with the commercial fishing vessel that gets lost at sea. And before that was the great 1938 hurricane.
1: Something like the 38 hurricane where it hit again would be the, the biggest natural disaster in, in world history. For anyone who went through Sandy, that should really, really, really make you scared. And it's, you know, we're not trying to fear here, but it is just the truth. It's happened before, it will happen again. And no, we're not all prepared. Sandy showed us that we're not prepared, and this could be far worse.
0: During Tropical Storm Isaias in 2020, over 400,000 customers lost power on Long Island. Many were out for a week. Debris and broken tree limbs felled by fierce winds challenged utility crews during the cleanup. To make matters worse, the system the power company uses to communicate restoration times with customers was fried. Left in the dark in every sense of the word. The Long Island Power Authority penalized the utility PSCG Long Island, but stopped short of replacing its contract with them to run the regional electric grid. Tom Falcone is LIPA's CEO. We've invested
3: record amounts of money, over $4.2 billion, with some expectation that we were really going to move the utility from a place that was subpar to really among the most, the excellent, the top performing utilities Uh, in the country. The contract that was entered into and began in 2014 for management services was a good attempt, but we're eight years in and now we can learn. In part, what
0: LIPA and PSCG Long Island learned after Sandy were the same lessons everyone that lives near the water did. Get out of the flood zone.
3: I'm on a lucky gate when we get inside, just so no one sneaks in. And I I have the key to get us out.
0: Today, the utility's Senior Director of Transmission and Distribution Operations, Michael Sullivan, has keys to a major electric substation in Rockaway
3: Beach. And inside, I'll have the opportunity to show you around, show some of the work we've done to make our system more resilient to, to things along the line to climate change, adverse weather conditions, and particularly today, we'll show you a lot of work we did for flood mitigation along the way.
0: We're on one of the several barrier islands that are off Long Island's south shore. These massive coastal dunes shelter the mainland from direct contact with the Atlantic Ocean. On the other side between the barrier island and the main shore is Jamaica Bay. And not only do people live on barrier islands, but a huge amount of electricity courses through the Rockaway substation here.
3: We are probably about 50 feet away from Jamaica Bay. And if we're probably maybe another... 4,000 feet away from the Atlantic Ocean. I, I would say this is in the middle of, um, well, electric and water don't mix. We learned that the hard
0: way during Hurricane Sandy. Inside, it looks industrial. Chain-linked fences topped with barbed wire to protect the substation from anyone coming in off the main road here and tampering with, well, a ton of heavy electrical equipment.
3: We'll take a, what I call the nickel tour around our substation.
0: When you think of power and a lot of power, You think of that buzz, because it's an unfamiliar sound. It's almost a little bit of a threatening sound. I mean, we're talking about a whole lot of power, and we're standing two feet away just wearing hard hats. I don't know about you, but that shock that I got when I was a kid sticking a penny in an electric outlet, it stuck with me. It's almost unnerving to be this close.
3: So, as it should, when you stuck that penny in your socket, that stays with you. So, that hum that you hear from this transformer, that's comforting for me. Someone i be in a utility professional because I know that the transformer is doing what it's supposed to do, right, supplying electricity.
0: Michael says the goal is to restore power as quickly as possible after an outage by resetting the breaker, which protects an electrical circuit from damage.
3: What we have a couple of raised buildings here. These are actually what we call our breaker cubicles inside. You can picture that in your in your home. You have your breaker panel in your basement, and you have the breakers.
0: So there's not a switch for everybody, but there's like these giant switches that everything kind of feeds into, right? It-
3: Absolutely, each one of these breakers feeds the facilities that we see out in the roads. Those are the wires you see on top of the poles. And those breakers themselves act like the circuit breaker in your, in your house. Similar here, if we have a car hit a pole out in the field, these breakers will operate to de-energize the area so nobody gets hurt.
0: So when the lights go out in my house uh, or in, in a particular room, and you know I'll I'll struggle to the closet, take out all the codes, get into the circuit, you know to to flip the switch back. If a car hits a pole here and a and a and a breaker
3: is is switched, do one of you have to go flip it back, or is all that kind of remote these days? So in the old days, I was called many many years ago used to have people have to respond to operate the switches on the system. Today, that's all done remotely from our four distribution control rooms.
0: After Sandy, the Federal Emergency Management Agency provided $730 million to help harden the 100 Long Island substations and make them more resilient. That includes the raising of 12 coastal substations and the installation of more than 150 of these automated switches.
3: Unfortunately, sometimes things do happen and people do experience power outages. But with the installation of all of these automated switches, the duration of that power outage is much less along the way because we have the ability to operate things from the office and not have to necessarily have somebody out in the field to operate those switches.
0: Next to the breaker cubicles is a battery system. Both seem important enough to be off the ground and away from floods. Another building that's been raised is the control house.
3: Here I'll show you all the knobs and the readings that we get along the way that we could see how Electricity's flowing so we walk up the stairs and into the control house all i ask is keep your hands by your side okay everything in here is live live from the standpoint of if you hit something you might inadvertently operate something oh my god look at all the buttons this is one of our control panels and you see a lot of handles a lot of lights a lot of buttons if necessary we could operate some of those devices that you've seen outside of here open and close switches transfer of power. If you did inadvertently hit one of those handles and that red light went green, typically that means someone might be out of power when you did that. Wait, so a green light means that someone's out of power, not red light? So typically green means for us open and when you open a device it interrupts the flow of electricity. Red means it's closed and it's continuity of service. All of this information from these relay panels go back to our transmission control room in Hicksville And we know what's going on in the substation. You can see some numbers on top. You see some amp readings, A, B, and C. You see some voltage readings along the way over there in A, B, and C.
0: I mean, I feel like I'm looking at, like, the first computer here. This is a very large unit. It is probably about 8 foot tall and about uh, 10 to 12 foot wide. And the readings that you pointed out, they're changing several times a
3: second. Mm -hmm. Everything you see here... It's real time monitoring, but nothing you see here would be of concern. If something of concern did occur, the system would take care of itself and isolate the problem and redirect your electricity elsewhere to our customers. All these relays that you see here operate on backup in case something does occur. If we lost power to the substation completely, we wanna have the ability to still operate the switches. Hence the battery house next door. The battery power itself will last for days and we have the ability if necessary to bring generators in to charge them over again. These are some of the bigger batteries you'd ever see. You could imagine a lot, a lot of your car batteries in, in parallel in series with one another. So when there's a Sandy size problem and the power goes out, the batteries were no good. The batteries are extremely susceptible to salt water corrosion. Once the batteries were submerged in either Jamaica Bay or the Atlantic Ocean or a combination of both, they really became useless, and they weren't able to operate the system.
0: Let's take a step outside sure. just so I – want me to turn the slide off?
3: Is this the I one mean, switch I can flip?
0: You can flip all three of them, right? There's three <laughs> of them. Here. Oh, boy, I, I mean, feel spoiled. You I can see I'll flip
3: I'll the switch you in the substation.
0: Outside, Michael points to the large power cables coming into the substation.
3: Electricity is generated at generating stations, and there's a bunch of generating stations throughout Long Island. Sure, so it's either, you know,
0: it's generated through renewable energies like wind, solar, um, hydro, or fossil fuel like natural gas, or energy that's created outside of our region and brought in through transmission systems.
3: We also have interties that ties Long Island off to other areas in New York State and in New Jersey.
0: Most of the power gets to people's homes through these overhead wires. Storms like Sandy got people talking about burying those wires to make them impervious
3: to wind damage. One of the advantages of things being in the air is when something happens, you can see them and find the problem relatively quickly. When it's underground, for finding things like that just takes a little bit longer not impossible but just takes a little bit longer
0: you know communities look at undergrounding as a as a plus because they're tired of your service trucks
3: trimming trees or disrupting traffic so uh, undergrounding is an interesting concept and we did that in small pockets and we're also committed to working with communities who are interested in maybe sharing the cost to help have their communities go underground but when you look at it from the standpoint of pure economics to underground, the economics just doesn't play out to do that along the way. Everything you see in this substation is monitored remotely from one of our control rooms that we have back in Hicksville.
0: So we hop into Michael's car and head to the control room. On the way, Michael tells me there's a utility crew working on some power lines he wants to check on. If
3: you notice along this roadway here, a lot of new poles a lot of new cross arms, all new wire, all part of our hardening effort that we've done.
0: After Sandy, federal dollars helped the utility harden about 900 miles of power lines. When the money ran out in spring 2020, they replaced another 60 miles in the first year using other funds from customers and the
3: state. These, these folks right here are our overhead linemen. You see they have their trucks set up. They're getting ready in position to be able to go up into the air. To put taps on this new switch that we have here why don't we do that we can get out we will have to put a vest on for safety purposes here
0: oh that's perfect thank you
3: i wish i could tell you they're light and airy but they're not
0: say, jimmy jimmy dunlop is the foreman of this four-man overhead crew an apprentice is in a bucket truck being hoisted into the hey, air JD. hey how man. you doing
2: Basically, right now, we're putting a switch online that's a new switching point after they've done a um, a conversion of the electric. And uh, all of that work gives its more efficiency to the customer and for ourselves also. And they've also strengthened the structures themselves, you know, with installing new poles, hardware on the poles, and all of that. So you must have the best
0: of you from up there. <laughs> it is.
2: It's nice. I love it. I, I actually like it. So... Uh, it, when I made Foreman and I have to stay on the ground more often, that part I didn't like. You know,
0: there, there's a, a lot of equipment that you guys deal with and a lot of potentially dangerous stuff that you're yeah. handling. Yes, it is. And I uh, mean, that, that guy's got rubber gloves up to his elbows. Yes,
2: and it's going to be, what, a heat index today of almost near 100, and we have to deal with that all the time. But, uh, yeah, it's unforgiving, you know, if you make a mistake. So we always are constantly talking with each other, watching each other's back, and... Uh,
0: that's pretty much how every day goes with us. As a foreman doing this job, you must either be the most popular person on your block or the least popular person on your block
2: when when, when the power goes out. Most of the times we're working 16 hours every day in a big storm so I can sneak home when everybody's <laughs> back in bed. But um, if they do come and ask, I try to explain it to them so that you know they realize that it might be a smaller outage part of where they're out and we have larger outages, and we always take care of it down you know, to the smallest. And uh, that's really the way you have to go. And half the times, if you went to a smaller outage, you can't put them on until you fix something bigger that feeds that area in the first place.
3: Now, just because you live around the corner from a substation doesn't necessarily mean that your power is going to be more reliable. And It doesn't matter if you're the first customer outside the substation or the last customer. The same level of service will be afforded to you along the way.
2: And also, all of this work is so that you don't have to worry about that. Exactly.
0: Foreman Jimmy finishes giving the rundown, and we hop back into Michael's car to head to the control room, where most of the equipment we've seen today is operated remotely. Headquarters is in an industrial park about a half hour away without traffic. I'm going to stay back just to minimize the other guys. Michael starts to get pulled into a meeting the minute we enter the door. So this this is where we manage how it gets to the customer. That's Abhinav Kumar, the senior supervisor of the control room. You see one side is empty
4: and it's mainly because two of the control rooms used to work from the same control room but uh, because of COVID and all that protocols last year we shifted them to a different yard so there's more spacing or whatnot during a storm and when a customer sees an outage how do we respond to it so that's what the control room is for it's obviously a 24-7 Operation because outages can happen at any time.
0: A customer can
4: call, text, or email a dispatcher here. So if it's one customer that says, hey, I'm out, that looks like a single, so he'll react accordingly. Or you have hundreds of customers out, that may be a bigger outage, right? And then he analyzes, and it could be a fuse outage, or just a transformer outage, or what we call a lockout, where the whole circuit goes out. The
0: control room is busy to look at. There are monitors everywhere, with operators looking at several screens at the same time. And it's not all digital. A big conference table in the middle has piles of paper maps the size of window drapes each for different service areas.
4: And everyone's got a bunch of circuits they're responsible for and they're restoring that circuit and they're communicating with the field personnel you know, every second, you know, you're on the phone every second, you know, you hear the phone ringings. These phones just don't stop ringing during the storms. And that's why you see the similarities, I would say, between different places and control center because it is the brain, right? And uh, a lot of times it's nice and quiet, but when it gets busy, you just...
0: That is when expectation meets reality.
3: Important news breaks at all hours of the day, and the reporting and the resources behind all the stories you hear on WSHU depends on the sustained energy of people who care, people like you. I'm WSHU News Director Terry Sheridan. Your investments in WSHU Public Radio have helped us face reporting challenges and meet them effectively, providing important information and ideas. Thank you for listening and supporting WSHU. We're stronger together.
0: Shadowing the utility crews with Michael was a bit jarring. So much infrastructure is vulnerable to storm surge and flooding. It's being upgraded to prevent damage, but storms continue to prove it's not enough. Michael believes in his job. He's been working in energy for decades before there was a PSEG Long Island or a regional power authority. He's raised a family near the Rockaway substation He rebuilt his home after Superstorm Sandy. He has seen the destruction to his system and all infrastructure during that storm, but also the recovery.
3: Not just a lot of electric utility work, a lot of facility work along the way, a lot of water, sewer type of work happening. Well, because when one goes
0: out from a storm, everything goes out from a storm, right? Uh,
3: Absolutely, and and this community continues to develop with more and more people.
0: More and more people who want to live in a certain kind of way, those famous Long Island suburbs that fueled the 1950s dream. Donovan Finn is an urban planner. He says the idyllic natural image of suburbia is deceiving.
1: This perception in the minds of Long Islanders that single-family homes and suburban developments are in themselves natural, right? And so that suburbia is, in a way, a way of protecting the natural environment because it, it looks, you know, there's grass and there's trees, it looks green, so it's natural. When, in fact, you know, there's very few landscapes other than maybe midtown Manhattan that are really more human-built than a suburban subdivision
0: donovan's a professor at stony brook university in new york researching policies that support sustainable communities
1: where you get an intense rainstorm and you get a lot of flooding and it doesn't seem to make sense because it looks like you know we're not living in a concrete jungle but in fact you know a suburban yard does not absorb very much stormwater Um, a suburban house doesn't absorb any stormwater and you know it all has to go somewhere and so it you know, it water always wins
0: it wins out over the suburban home for a family of four car in the driveway manicured lawns picket fence oak tree with a tire swing in the back
1: because the typology developed in a time when we weren't thinking about um you know the future in the same way we are because the risks were not nearly as apparent and you know there was a certain logic and sort of rational thinking You know, it's the best of both worlds. It's neither urban nor rural.
0: More urban planners like Donovan are making the argument that dense communities where power and water utilities are delivered efficiently to many homes can be quite sustainable places. You know,
1: you create kind of a a, a sustainability through scale, right? So you have so many people living in such a small area that by proxy you're sort of protecting lots of other areas, right? Those places, those people need um, natural areas to to recreate in, they need um, agricultural areas to get their food from, because people don't need to drive everywhere, they can walk, they can use transit, uh, they live vertically so that, uh you know, by and large, um, taller buildings are more energy efficient uh, for a variety of reasons than single family homes, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera.
0: And prevent the toilet water from backing up into the streets when it storms? <laughs> yeah, it's gross, I know, but every time we flush the toilet, it goes into the ground somewhere. All this means that suburban Long Islanders have some tough choices to make if they're going to become more sustainable. And that gross toilet water, that's where we'll pick it back up when Higher Ground continues.
5: What you, want? Who you be? What you need, why you talking to me? Don't be caught, I'm a needle to the weave. Better talk or you'll fall through the seams. Spit it out, what's your play? Think you're slick with your bag or what it tricks? I'm the fool by the shape of your lips. Just a suit in the shape of a tick. Higher Ground is
0: produced and mixed by Sabrina Grone and me, J.D. Allen, with editing from Harriet Jones. Kelly Hills-Muckey and Sarah Ruberg did fact-checking and research. Music is composed by Samuel Davies and Eric Harper. Graphic art by Joshua Joseph. This podcast was made possible by the Allen Alda Center for Communicating Science. Higher Ground is a production of WSHU Public Radio. For more, go to WSHU.org. The next episode is available wherever you get your podcasts.
5: Sew so it up, close a rip, put a nice little plaque on the slip. I can sew like a Vincent thing go. No one needs ever know to start the show. Have you found what you lost? Have you lost what you found? Do you really understand? Close the rip, put a nice little plaque on the slip I can sew like a Vincent then go No one needs ever know to start the show Have you found what you lost? Have you lost what you found? Do you really understand How you sift for a love in the sand Like a leaf inside the wind And you go where it tells you to go But you never wonder why There isn't nothing here at all